Hello and welcome to Sound Salad, where we toss around all things spoken and all things heard. Brought to you by Audiobooks New Zealand, New Zealand's leading producer of audio content. We hope that you will have a pleasant journey, and if we can add to your comfort in any way, please do not hesitate to press the call bell. Hello. The biggest question or debate that I've been able to sort of find in, in and around audiobooks and audio content is the question of does listening to an audiobook count as much as reading one? Now, I'm not a huge fan of the terminology count because I think everyone's individual experience of any artistic medium is entirely valid and relative to that individual. However, purists often cling to the, the, the literal meaning of the word read, which is why I got in my friend Michael Reed who you guessed works with me at Blind Low Vision NZ. I just thought maybe he could give us an insight into his experience with audiobooks. Michael, do you want to tell us who you are and what it is that you do for BLVNZ? I'm Michael Reed. I work at Blind Low Vision New Zealand as and I do um, hard copy scanning. Uh, we provide books in braille and large print as well as audio. My job is to hard copy scan books which get turned into large print or braille when the foundation can't get files, uh, text files from uh, publishers on time. Yeah, so, right. Uh, that's what I do. So I don't have anything directly to do with the uh, audio studios at all, really, but uh, I am and have been an avid and keen listener to talking books, as we used to call them. And, and in uh, almost all the media that we've used, from the large uh, six-track talking book tapes to cassettes to, uh, oh, and even, even the vinyl records. We used to have them on vinyl records at one time. Yeah. And, of course, <laughs> now to, the, to an app. I've got the uh, app for my cell phone. Is that BookLink? Is that what that is? No, it's, I can't remember what it's called now. Oh, I should. I should have researched that. I've got it on my phone. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. Doesn't matter. Um, it's all good. That's uh, an app that I can download books to. Yeah, nice. And, uh, and you know, once once I get started, you know, reading them, I can go on for hours and hours, especially if I'm gripped by the story. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, do you do you remember your first encounter with audiobooks? Because you went to you went to Hormai, right? The school. I, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I went there as uh, from the age of five in 1965, and I encountered talking books a lot as I was uh, growing up in all their various forms. I, I quickly, as I grew older, I quickly actually got more interested in reading books in print, and yeah, I always right. liked the the independence of being able to do that. But I've actually found that both reading books and listening to them have much the same effect for me. So uh, you know, I can read a book and get into the, the story and, you know, begin to imagine the places and the scenes and the sounds of people's voices. But I also like talking books because sometimes the narrator creates a whole new version of a story. Sometimes the images are much clearer. And because somebody else is doing the reading, the images can be clearer. The atmosphere can be much more acute. That's what I've found anyway. So did you have them like is audio content sort of something that you remember quite a lot from when you were at the Hormai College? Because did you did you have to be vision impaired to attend that school or was it? Certainly back, back then it was a school for the blind and they didn't call us low vision. We were called partially sighted then. And there were probably more partially sighted students there than when I was there than, than 
people who were totally blind. Yeah. Uh, but there were a few totally blind uh, people there. I think that in, in the early days, it was only totally blind people that could have talk book machines. Yeah. I could be wrong about that, but that's how I remember it. It wasn't really until the 1990s that I first heard about print handicapped, they used to call it, or print disabled people that could get access to talking book through the National Library of New Zealand. I did have something to do with that. I used to transfer our, um, yeah, our four-track books to two-track tape for um, the National Library, and they would get sent down. Back in those days, I think they were in Palmerston North. I think they're in Wellington now. I did that for about 18 months as a government contract, uh, on a government contract, using the foundation's facilities to do the tape transfers. I really enjoyed doing that work. I heard lots and lots of books, mostly New Zealand ones, yeah. Uh, from New Zealand writers. And at that time, you know, we were really just starting to explore uh, recording more books written by New Zealand authors. Yeah, right. Was that at the foundation at that time, would have been called? Yes, at, that was in our old library building on Totoki Street in uh, Parnell. Yeah. yeah, right. It's interesting, eh? I mean, it's it's funny to me that, I mean, I think, what was it, um, 1961 or 1963, that the Blind Foundation first started recording the audiobooks using, you know, local artists, local talent, local actors, narrators. And it is funny to me that, you know, it took so long for them to actually start to do Kiwi titles, you know, like, the, I mean, the first one obviously was, I think, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. But afterwards, there's sort of just this kind of, you know, sequence of random sort of graphic novels, sorry, you know, yeah, just random novel titles that aren't by Kiwi authors at all, you know. Uh, but were clearly mm. potentially of interest during that mm. during that well, time. Back in those days, also we would get books from uh, the RNIB, Royal National Institute for the Blind, in um, England. Uh, we got a lot of of their books from them, and they would be all kinds of you know novels or uh, nonfiction. You know, by the time I was working in the library, we had a huge catalogue of talking books that dealt with just about every subject going. The library service, I believe, is very popular among the blind and uh, low vision members. Yeah. And people, I know that people are always clamouring for more, so um, it's got to be a good thing. They, I know, they've, they've only sort of increased in popularity and in sales and in use and in everything, really, over the years. What was it that made you want to work for BLVNZ in the first place? Well, actually, uh, I was because I, uh, I have a friend who was working in the library and I basically wanted to work where he was. We both shared a passion for music and for sound audio recording and yeah. that sort of thing. And he was already doing, he was already recording talking books uh, at that time. Really? Uh, and, and did and did so for many years, yeah. So um, that was basically my motive for, uh, for getting to work there, yeah. Right. So you just shoulder tapped your mate and was like, can you hook me up a job? <laughs> well, no, it wasn't quite like that. But uh, uh, the opportunity to do the National Library books came up and, uh, you know, I took the plunge, me and another person. And the other person lucked out and I got in. The idea was that I was going to do the National Library and then I was going to have a go at doing recording magazines because we record those as well, like The Listener and you know, Metro and all those sort of things. But uh, that didn't end up happening. I ended up just doing the National Library uh, mm. work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is before I started doing the scanning, and I started doing that quite a few years ago. The government contract, of course, got severed after the election in 1990 when the new government came in, and they decided that it was too expensive, so they just 
stopped it and that was a great pity because it was work I really enjoyed. Interesting. That's how I remember it, you know, just in case there's anybody out there in the know. <laughs> no, that's not how it was. I love it. So how many years yeah. have you been working for BLVNZ? Uh, since I was 16 in 1976, I started out in their sheltered workshops. And how old are you uh, now, if you don't mind my asking? I'm 60. 16 yeah, to 60. Been, Goodness gracious yeah. me. Yeah, That's yeah. impressive. I've, wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, I like working there. I enjoy the company of the people. And uh, I've seen a lot of changes over the over the years. But the one thing that doesn't change is people's passion for audiobooks. Yeah, I know. It's interesting that, eh? Hey? I mean, every, every sort yeah. of narrator that I meet or, you know, anyone that comes on and that's new anyone that the sort of novelty of the work itself hasn't really worn off for as well you know it's really lovely meeting new people that are into it they kind of go oh you know this is all so new and it's 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 also exciting to be able to play in this way you know which is really cool and it's it's a it's a it's a nice little reminder of how fun the actual work is really eh? and also yeah. of how fun the people are and all other personalities that you know are kind of drawn to that sort of work as well yeah, well, I've met some interesting people like radio personalities, uh, yeah. actors, yeah, uh, people who do radio work, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. I know, all sorts. So how many audiobooks yeah. would you say that you, I mean, you're obviously, you're, you, you know, you were mentioning that you um, enjoyed physically reading just as much as listening on to, to an audiobook. Based on that, how many would you say that you have read? And when I say that, I'll, I mean just listened to. So the audio side of things, how many would you say over over all the years? I couldn't say really because, I mean, I would secondhand hear books because, you know, when I was at school, I lived in a dormitory. So there'd be yeah. people with talking book machines in there. I do remember listening many, many years ago, listening to um, The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis on vinyl talking book. Yeah. I remember that very distinctly. Gosh. And of course, the narrators back then were pretty boring. They they kind of droned <laughs> on and on. The narrators we have now, I think, are a little bit more lively and a little bit more interesting. Yeah, yeah. So did you, did you start with audiobooks at school or were, were audiobooks not really a, a sort of part of the education system, so to speak? Would some of your earlier books have been educational ones based on the fact that you were at the school? No. no all my um, educational material was always in print. And the other students who were whose vision was too low, they read Braille. You know, most of our talking books we listened to then were books for pleasure. Yeah, right. That's cool. So um, obviously, though, they you know they they have been a presence in your life since then, though. Well, no, not really. I mean, music history. I'm kind of interested in that. So you know, I've listened to books on that, even even books on New Zealand music history. I started looking listening to the Shane P. Carter book just a few weeks ago oh yeah um, but i haven't gotten any further through that yeah <laughs> i'll go back to it eventually my personal taste is science fiction and uh kind of medieval fantasy and uh, autobiographies i really like listening to but yeah. yeah people listen to whatever they whatever they want to and as i say we've got a catalog that's large enough to cater for most people's tastes i know i know it's it's huge my god and it's been going for how many years and it still keeps getting things added to it so which is which is great. Mm. <laughs> so great. so your, yeah, yeah. so your your favorite genre is the sort of uh, sci-fi, fantasy sort of genre. Their name. See, I think the great thing about listening to talking books is that, especially with those kind of genres, is that they can really take you out of your own 
personal surroundings. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. You know, you become and and when if a narrator is really good, they can really create the sound of a character. It might yeah. be different from how you would read it yourself if you were reading the book. You know, you really get the sense of you know the dankness of the castle. Or, yeah, no, I know. Um, I agree. Yeah, or the or the gripping fear that you might have as you're overlooking the the battle while all the armies are in array and uh, you yeah. know, waiting for something to happen, and you don't always get that reading a book unless no, the writing is really excellent. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, you know, there's so many different schools of thought in that. Some people that have tried audio and hated it for that reason, you know, because they don't like people um, giving them a preconceived notion of how they should be receiving the material. Other other people love that side of it because exactly like what you said, it sort of cracks open the world a bit more and makes it a bit more of a tangible experiential sort of thing rather than just something that you're simply passively taking in. There is obviously word about it being an incomplete experience of the book if you do go for the audio version. Now, I think I have a feeling that that probably would have stemmed from or originated from the ages back when, you know, we could only actually fit a certain amount of content on any device that it was being recorded on. The whole abridged version of things. I can imagine the abridged well, version of Lord of the Rings wouldn't be quite that satisfying, perhaps. But <laughs> no. As far as I remember, uh, when we even when we had the six-track, they were quite large cassettes, and they yeah. had machines that were specifically built for them. Those could get up to 30 hours of audio on them. 30 um, hours, and that's for six yeah. big... And that's on six they, big they were, different cassette tapes. Yeah, but the, the tape moved across the heads relatively slowly compared to cassettes or... So we can store that much information on a CD too, but they are at lower resolution than, you know, that MP3, you know, that, they're at that sized file so that they can fit the whole of a, a large book onto one or two CDs. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the case of, of the early days, even, even the vinyl, they used to have huge box sets of multiple records so that they could get yeah. an entire novel onto to those. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, those, of course because of that limit that you're talking about with uh, vinyl mm. and to some degree cassettes because they were at lower resolution too if they were novels if they were magazines they just played at normal speed but, yeah right um, if they were novels they were they were on lower speed but even so you might have six or eight or ten cassettes that would cover a whole book and as far as I know there wasn't really any attempt to abridge talking books back in the day or well, certainly not today either. Right, I could be wrong about that, and somebody's can happily correct me if I'm. <laughs> yeah, if no, I'm well, wrong, I mean, but, um, I I think that's that's sort of where the sort of rub came from with that thought of of it being an incomplete experience because of the fact that in the bygone times they would actually have to abridge audiobooks. But what I would think fascinating with that and actually, you know, potentially equally as unsatisfying as an abridged version of the story, full stop is that sometimes or oftentimes it wouldn't necessarily be the authors who are the ones in charge of those edits. You know, if you're looking at cassette tape and you've just got r rolls and rolls and rolls of it, it's sort of the audio, audio engineer's job to just go snip, you know, as soon as the time is, is kind of up, which is petrifying when you think about it because any of those edits can dramatically change the story, obviously, and and it can dramatically change your your experience of that writer, of that writer's voice, all of that sort of stuff. Obviously, nowadays we can we can get get the full story the way that the author intended it, 
But yeah, it is. It is something that's sort of interesting to think on, really. You know, if I were to think about actually hiring out an abridged version of a of a novel these days, I I, I can imagine that it wouldn't actually be necessarily I do, I as do, satisfying. I do believe that some commercial books are abridged, but as far as I know, when we were recording at the foundation, we never did uh, abridged books. And the mm. other thing too, I've noticed about listening to talking books is I've tended to listen to books I wouldn't have otherwise read. I was never a big fan of the classic science fiction writers like your John Wyndham's, Jules Verne, or people like that. But I'd probably listen to their books on Talking Book. I remember listening to The Crack and Wakes, which is by John Wyndham. I remember listening to that on Talking Book. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was just because his writing was a bit more arcane than than modern writing. I think yeah. I found that a bit, a bit stuffy. But it was a, a ripping yarn, though. And uh, so I think that I, I tend to be more open-minded to different types of books or different types of authors, but listening to them on talking books because, you know, the narrator is doing the hard work of having to plough through difficult-to-read material. Mm. Also, a lot of those books were written, even the paperbacks written, the text was very small. Oh, yes. You know, so, so a lot of those older books, so, you know, listening to them on talking books is therefore much easier. Yeah, no, for sure. Oh, gosh, I, I finished one the other day. What was it? Uh, by Kurt von Lustbader, I believe his name was. And he had a he had a trilogy, I think it was called um, something to do with The Sunset King. I ironically started with the, the fourth of the series. It's really frustrating sometimes when that happens because you just don't know oh. which book in the in the you know, sequence it is. Not really much of an idea until you really sort of get into the book and sort of understand the world and who's in it and where they've been before and where they haven't been yet and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny because, yes, the writing is tiny. You know, the text, the actual print itself is tiny. The pages... The pages feel different, you know. I mean, his work, these, these, I think he started writing... 1965 and they mm-hmm. sort of traverse about a decade so I think the last one's written in you know I think the late late 70s or so it's interesting how obvious the difference in writing style and writing quality is from back then to now and also it's it's interesting that so many of those huge world ideas were being explored in such an original way I feel mm-hmm. you know whereas these days I often find that a lot of the sci-fi novels or, you know, especially young adult sci-fi novels that I'm sort of asked to narrate at work, they've got very similar themes, very similar, mm. in all honesty, very similar storylines a lot of the time, you know, like mm. it'll follow a very similar kind of narrative or at least narrative structure to the point where, you know, you kind of go, gosh, has everything been done in this territory, mm. you know, but reading some of those older ones, you kind of go, gosh, this would have been brand new back then. You know, it would have been something that would have been pretty groundbreaking. But also the sort of thing that I know that you were saying, you know, that the narrator is sitting there having had done all of the hard work and things. But I feel like sometimes it's a bit of a gift getting those novels because, you know, you might have two, three pages of just descriptive text about a thing that's happening, about a journey that the hero's going on, about, I don't know, some dream that one of the characters is in the middle of or something, you know, but it really barrels along. You know, like Mm. it oftentimes it's really active text, you know, like you sort of feel as Mm. though you're kind of walking or moving with the protagonist. And if if you're kind of giving it a bit of a sort of bit of real rhythm and a bit of real life, then, you know, you can just sort of go through pages and pages and pages relatively quickly, still being Mm. legible and still giving a decent performance. But 
you just kind of, you know, launch your way through it just, just by proxy, the actual content itself, you know? So mm -hmm. I sometimes find them a little bit easier to be honest, you know? Mm. Well, I think the sad thing with uh, science fiction particularly these days is that it's lost its sense of what is it? Mm. Everything has to be explained and there has to be a, a, an ending and a wind up an epilogue or, or whatever. My favourite thing, for instance, about John Wyndham's Day of the Triffids is that it doesn't really have an ending. The Triffids aren't gotten rid of. They're still there at the end of the story. And then there was the brilliance of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, where, you know, after all the armies had tried destroying the, the Martian aliens, it was microbes that ended up killing them. It was yeah, a clever yeah. ending. It was, it was a good idea. And yeah. um, But I find a lot of modern science fiction doesn't have that, you know, anymore, that sense of what is it like. With 2001, A Space Odyssey, I read the the novel of, of that, and Arthur C. Clarke did sort of explain what was going on. When you see the movie version, it doesn't explain anything. And those are the kinds of science fiction I like, where, where the author tells a story and he doesn't attempt to explain where it came from or what it's made of necessarily, or even what it is. And you, it's left to your imagination. And I think that that's a sad thing missing from that. And the reason I like listening to science fiction novels or fantasy novels is because they take you into another place. They take you into another world where the physics of that world or the, the laws of that world or the powers of that world are something mm. completely different from yeah. the world that we, we live in. And I prefer um, myself uh, fantasy novels that aren't set on Earth, but are set on Earth-like worlds or but where the, the physics is different, you know, yeah, yeah. nobody has to explain that. And, and I find that listening to somebody reading that, uh, especially if I sit and listen to it in a dark room, right, where I cut off all light, I'm really transported to that, that world. And that's what I love about listening to, you know, people reading novels to me. I mean, as a kid, I had teachers who would read stories to me and that would fill my mind with all kinds of imaginary things you know I remember hearing a story once about uh, the battle at Glen Coe in Scotland and uh, and it was read to me and it was read to me by somebody who was actually Scottish oh, and wow. it conjured up clear images and lots of atmosphere too of, of what it would be like you know yeah uh, preparing I bet. for this famous battle you know it was it was terrific and yeah I get that from from reading books but sometimes I get it more by not actually having to read the text and listen to the narrator telling the story yeah and, uh, and it creates an atmosphere an atmosphere of joy or fear or excitement mm. or or brings a particular mood into the room or, uh, or into myself yeah yeah definitely uh it kind of leads us quite organically onto sort of i suppose the latter part of of our of our wee chat i found which is kind of the the how and why do you listen i suppose in a lot of ways so obviously you were saying that only a couple of people back when you were at uh, Hormai had the actual devices that they needed, talking book players and things. So obviously nowadays, you know, we've got apps on our phone, like <laughs> like yeah, you were mentioning yeah. at the beginning, where even if we yeah. can't remember the names of those apps, we have them. Yeah. And we have any any number of capacities where we are able to constantly listen. And I think another sort of point of contention around that is that when you are listening, obviously you have the capacity to do other things. So I think 
those sort of purists would also sit in the realm of going, you know, when you have to read a book, you're forced to sit there and focus on the book itself. You're forced to focus on the text. You're forced to focus on the experience of reading the book. Whereas when you have an audio book, you have the freedom to be able to be doing other things. So some would say that that's a blessing and others would say that that's a terrible thing and a travesty to the story, et cetera, et cetera. I you know, it's uh, up to the individual, but actually like with music, I like to be focused on listening to the talking book. Yeah, and, yeah, um, same. Because the only downside of that sometimes is that I might, sometimes I might nod off to sleep during the, the, the book and I end up having to go back yeah, right. to chapters where, oh, what did I miss there? And sure. I, I know lots of people that, that that's happened to. I wouldn't want to be doing something else because that would take me out of that. That would take me out of that imaginary world. I'd be thinking about what yeah. I was doing instead. I'm not one of those who vacuums to music or vacuums yeah. to listening to a talking book. Oh, God, I know. Um, yes, me neither. That's just me. You know, I, I like to be able to focus on what I'm listening to and, you know, get into it. And I remember the uh, the book that you did that I, I listened to, I would, you know, start at about, you know, 8.30 at night and I'd keep going till 12, 1, 2 in the morning. Really? Because I was so gripped. Yeah. Which I was book so was that? By the, story. <laughs> the David Hare one. Yeah, yeah. In the Moon, the Moon Tide Quartet, I read the yeah. whole lot, all four of them, and uh, I, I thought he was a wonderful writer. Yeah, he's and, pretty prolific, um, eh? Yeah, and I'd, I'd, I'd really like him to know that, you know, that I in particular had enjoyed it so much. Being a low vision person, you know, enjoys listening to, to talking books, that, that, that giving us permission to or allowing us to be able to record that, that book has given pleasure to others. That might actually even be better than than the joy of reading it, um, you know, for oneself, you know, because it, it, there are a lot of people out there who uh, those books would probably in Braille, they'd be in multiple volumes. It'd be yeah. quite a task to, to read through them in Braille. Um, oh, yeah, totally. On Talking Book, you know, you, you really get drawn into the story. I thought they were brilliantly written and I thought you in particular did did a great job of interpreting story without over without over interpreting it you know oh um, thank you <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah I, I think that was uh, that was my first real big sci-fi lot that 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 quartet actually it was a bit of a baptism by fire thanks for that Simon Lynch but but it was good it was it was it was really good learning you know it was a really good opportunity to also be exposed to David here, the writer. So I think he's definitely gonna gotta have to be someone that we bring on board for a um for an interview because he's written so much in the realm of yeah. young adult fiction and that you know, and I think there's there are a lot of writers that are relatively prolific that because they don't achieve the same sort of esteem as perhaps Joy Cowley or Witty Ihamida or anyone like that, we mm -hmm. kind of they sort of slip under the radar, you know. And we kind well, of miss I, I out on a lot of them because there is so much yeah. content and there is an oversaturation, blah, blah, blah. But it is, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really important to note when we do find the ones, especially the, you know, local ones who really are sort of doing it, are really kind of, you know, walking the walk and doing a bloody well, good job know, of I, it. <laughs> I thought he was, he was, you know, good quality enough. My favourite fantasy writer is a guy called Tad Williams and David Hare is certainly up there with him. And he oh, and, and I thought that David Hare's story, that uh, Moontide Quartet, was really original. It was a clever idea, you know. And listening to you reading it, you really captured his world or worlds yeah. in that. And I think that that's that's a thing that narrators that we have uh, should, you know, receive more appreciation, you know, from us who read these books because they don't really know how 
they're being received um, mm. a, a lot of the time. And they do a lot of work and they sometimes don't get enough feedback. And um, so, yeah, I'm passing on my feedback no. to uh, all of you guys for for uh, excellent work done because I know it's not easy to do it. I know you, you know, you read, make a mistake and you have to go back and then you've got to recapture that atmosphere that you had, you, the flow that you had going before. It's like um, a, it's like a cut and a shot really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I've sat in on a lot of sessions, uh, talking book reading sessions, and uh, I know how frustrating it can be uh, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll be speaking with most of them over, over the series of the podcast, I suppose. I, I think I'm speaking with Paul Barrett, I believe tomorrow. So he'll oh. be, he'll be giving us plenty to speak about. I think he's a, he's a bit of a sci- sci-fi and non-fiction buff as well when it comes to all the things that he gets asked to narrate and things for the for the foundation mm-hmm. so that's cool well i did i found a wee a wee pie chart actually just with some stats around why it is i guess that 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 people do engage with audiobooks audiobook readers i will call them and what they thought that the key benefits of audiobooks were for them in their lives i mean obviously if your learning style is oral then there might be a sort of, you know, sway towards the educational or just simply understanding the world realm of things. But this was just a standard group of several several smaller groups of audiobook readers. So these are the reasons why they engage with audiobooks or what the benefits were for them. So 26% said that they simply liked listening to storytelling, which is nice. Uh, 26% uh, mentioned accessibility and the fact that it was time-saving which is also interesting because in a way the length of time that it takes you to hear a book, technically I imagine depending on your reading capabilities would be the same length of time that it would take to read it sometimes. Actually, I I found that getting through talking books is much quicker. Now I got through those four books in about two months or something like that. Now it would have taken me about two months just just to read the the first book in that series. Really? Um, Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't, I used to sit for hours reading and reading, but now I find that if I sit there for too long reading, I'm not off to sleep. Uh, yeah, for books, sure. Like, do you do you use? Reading. Yeah do do you use like magnifying glasses or anything like no, that to well, sort of assist you reading? I download my books to a tablet, so ah uh, right, okay, in, in large print. So um, you know, I see. that that has actually sped it up a little bit. Uh, but I used to read paperback, trade paperbacks, I used to call them, they're quite large format books with what I would call paperback sized text. So those would take me a long time, you know, because most of the books I read are like, you know, seven or 800 pages. Yes. Um, I think the longest one I ever read was about 1,400 pages. Um, the oh, Lord wow. of the Rings, I think I did that in one big gulp, and that's well over a thousand pages, too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Good Lord. Well, I so time, time saving for some then. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, the the David Hare ones, I got through nice and quickly, mainly because I was so gripped by the story, and yeah, um, it kept me kept me going. Yeah, kept me it keeps you in, eh? on the screen going. Yeah, 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 totally. That had a lot to do with the way that it it was read and, and narrated. You know, if it had been a really dry voice, a not very interesting voice, it yeah. might have been more te- tedious. And I remember reading a uh, David Eddings one of his series that was really good. Mm. And the first few books in that series was read by a guy who was very engaging. Yeah. Then I came across another because the later books uh, read by other people. And there was one guy that was reading and he was spelling every word that was like an unusual or made oh, up word. Oh, no, really? And, and that oh, was I can't infuriated me. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
So that was a little bit annoying, kind yeah. of ruined the story. Yeah, gosh, I bet. Ugh. And it was an Australian, the, the first two or three books in that series was, he was a narrator, a narrator from Australia and he was really good. Sadly, I can't, can't remember his name now, but he was excellent. And David Eddings wasn't a, a writer I particularly wanted to read uh, physically. Yeah. I was much more, because I, I like the concept of the story a, a lot. Somebody had recommended it to me, actually, somebody at the foundation. And oh, right. uh, but I listened to it on, on Talking Book and thoroughly enjoyed the story, you know. Um, mm. But it got more difficult to listen to it when I hear the uh, different narrators who interpreted the characters completely differently. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, there's there's sort of schools of thought as well that are, you know, swing between, you know, whether people that enjoy actors reading books versus people that enjoy the authors themselves narrating their own books. Mm. Um, obviously, mm. sometimes, you know, the actual author themselves can bring a different sort of tone or life to a book because it's obviously a world that's been sitting in them or that or or that they've been sitting with for a very long time so mm. there's a certain depth or clarity there that potentially could be gained that an actor couldn't but yeah that's an interesting one really i i personally I'll, I'll be devil's advocate i suppose in the sense of saying that i far prefer performers or um actors or at least people who have had some kind of presenting or some kind of i don't know just something that has involved them having to public speak in a way that uses emphasis, passion, yeah. accents, perhaps, if that's necessary. It's not really, you know, but anyone that's really got a bit of a fire in their belly to be mm -hmm. able to get behind some of the stuff that they might have to say. You know, a lot of the stuff, sometimes sometimes some of the stuff that you have to say, you don't really want to have to, have to say, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not the most pleasant stuff to read. You know, anything about war, there's a lot of autobiographical stuff that we've read, you know, the, the Maori land wars or the New Zealand wars, mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> to me, nonfiction needs a certain type of narrator. I think that people who read fiction you know, I think that there are the right voices for biographical stuff and there's a different voice for uh, imaginary stuff. That, that's yeah. what I think. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, you could have somebody, I've heard narrators who are very good for reading magazine articles who are, are terrible for reading novels. Yeah, I and, know. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one, eh, as well. The sort of yeah. style or genre of writing can depend. Yeah. And I think that when you're reading something that's factual, you have to be a lot less emotional, a lot less... I don't know what the right word is. Well, yeah, um, yeah. A, a, well, I suppose... There's a lot less a lot, performance involved in it, yeah. Yeah, a lot less connected to the reality of what you're saying, which is sometimes pretty yeah, gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of interesting watching news presenters where they are trying to be factual, but they're also trying to be polite. They're trying to inform yeah. their, their audience so they can't afford to be too overly emotional in their delivery. Yeah, totally. Um, and they also can't afford to have any bias in their delivery yeah, or yeah, any, any yeah. of their own personal opinion, you know, yeah, which, yeah. which that, is interesting. because It sometimes does leak through. I've noticed. Yes, um, totally. You know, that the, the uh, news personality will smile or will scowl or something yeah. like that. So you, you know, they might be moved by the horror of something or disturbed by the cruelty of something, you know, but usually they try to be neutral. That's how I think that reading nonfiction should be, it should be neutral. That's just yeah. my opinion, of course. There might a lot of people who listen to that and go, "Oh, what a load of rubbish you're saying!" You know. No, no, it's all it's all listener. it's all personal taste, really. You know, yeah. and there's a lot yeah, of different right. personal taste thing. You know, like me and Josh were speaking in our episode about we used to sort of dream up notions of making sort of 
audio movies out of our books, you know, so that um, I could just mm -hmm. ba basically narrate a novel with all of the bells and whistles of whatever that novel required vocally. And yeah. he would go away with a bunch of muso mates and build a big soundscape and whatnot for it, you know, like build audio settings and things, you know, and I know that that's happening yeah. already in the sort of audiobook yeah. world and realm. I also know that there are a lot of people that are really anti that, you know, a lot of, mm. a lot of people don't want any faff around the actual words. They just want to be able to hear someone speaking into their ear, something that moves them, you know, which is yeah. totally well, fair I'm, enough I'm as well. That, <laughs> I'm in that camp. I'm in that camp. Yeah. Um, I don't mind a dramatic version of a book. So as in right, like having yeah. like multiple characters or like multiple actors yeah, yeah. or narrators or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. Multiple characters, multiple actors. You know, when I was a kid, I used to like listening to radio, you know, radio plays, things like that, or, or comedy shows or things like that. And I would be in, you know, with somebody with a radio and, you know, listening to a comedy or listening to a, yeah, a totally. serial and, you know, where they've got sound effects and, you know, things like that in the story. And I, I don't mind that, but I don't like, listening to a narrator talking and hearing music underneath it or or sound sound effects when it's just one narrator reading and they're not really acting they're they're just telling a story that kind of irritates me and i'm very glad that we don't do that at foundation much to josh's um chagrin i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> oh well oh well he's got heaps of other stuff to keep himself busy now <laughs> so um the next sort of step down was another 16 percenter which was building concentration and mental fitness so some people found that listening to audiobooks increased their mental fitness and helped to build their concentration. The next one down was 13% for the consumption of knowledge. So it's interesting to actually think about how we do receive knowledge. I mean, what you're, what you're just speaking about, about the news presenters, you know, that's kind of probably one of the few ways other than social media and all of the sort of news current affairs things that I would follow on my own social media or the people that I have in my life that I follow as well. So much of my knowledge is consumed in that way, you know, but it's sort of it's such a different thing. And I suppose it harkens into the education side of, of the kind of argument around, you know, the fact that some people literally may not have access to that knowledge without it being in that sort of format or form, you know, which I always find yeah, interesting. Well, I, I think that media has has really exploded education you know because you can watch things on youtube where you can get knowledge about things or information about things you never could when you were at school you just didn't have access yeah when i was a kid at school i didn't have access to that and um i've listened to a few science you know non-fiction science books on talking book and you know because i'm quite interested in learning some of that stuff you know and so i think that education through um that media is an excellent idea, and I'm yeah. sure that I hope that we'll we'll do, you know, like science, you know, on things like astronomy or quantum physics or those sort of things. That they're fascinating uh, subjects, and and mm. uh, if a book is well written where they explain it clearly what they're talking about, it can be quite enthralling. But again, you need the right sort of narrator for that. You can make it sound interesting without injecting too much emotion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I love documentaries about that sort of thing. And, yeah, um, totally. Uh, yeah. And I suppose, I mean, nonfiction audiobooks would be the equivalent, you know, the, the oral equivalent, sorry, to a documentary in a lot of ways, absolutely. depending on how it's yeah. pieced together. Yeah. Um, the next. Oh, you know, so, so, some books are better written than others. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. And the narrator, narrator has to put up with that, you know, sometimes 
the information's inaccurate or it's unclear or yeah. whatever, and that would make narration difficult. Yes, I know it definitely helps when you've got a good script. <laughs> Uh, the, the next one down at uh, 10% were people that used audiobooks for relaxation and sleep and the longevity and maintenance of learned English. So that's a whole, that one. totally, that's a whole <laughs> other kettle of fish, eh? I remember, um, gosh, I remember uh, little language audiobooks from when I was a kid, like French and stuff like that, you mm. know, and they'd have a little ring when it was time to turn the page and, oh, gosh. All right. Languages, yeah. full stop. There would be just, yeah, so much there. The last three are at 3% each. So one of them is, I think, an obvious one, which we've already hearkened to as well. Shared experiences with children and family. You know, that sort of thing of coming together around the radio. Like we've yeah. we've spoken about that before in many other conversations yeah. and episodes where, you know, there is a wonderful power that the audio book full stop has to just transport. And, you've, you know, you've spoken about that multiple times as well. Just that thing of being able to completely absorb and transport, which is great. Yeah. The final two on 3% each, one of which was to save space, which I completely empathize with. Right. <laughs> you know, it someone needing the wardrobe. Yeah. Uh, to- well, exactly. I mean, you know, you'd yeah. need an entire wardrobe library just to be able to house all of the books that I have. I'm pretty sure, yeah. you know, my, my poor mother has boxes and boxes of them up in the attic of our house all from high school, uni, you know, all over the place, secondhand bookshops. I just don't, I just choose avidly to not get rid of them. I just, I, I enjoy mm-hmm. having them. But in this day and age, you know, I can't really afford an entire flat. I can afford a room in a flat. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that means that, you know, yeah. I kind of have to limit my library to what I can fit on my cell phone more or less. So yeah. saving space is a, is a bloody good thing. Thank you, audiobooks. Yeah. The last one, which I find endearing and divine is final 3%, is that it helps them to fall in love with books again, which uh, I love. Yeah. Automatically, yeah. I mean, you know, the word again, naturally, I think everybody from, you know, anybody that ever got read to when they were a kid, I think probably fell in love with, with, with storytelling mm-hmm. or oral storytelling mm-hmm. or, you know, or it really appealed to that carnal well, you know, primal human thing of our condition, which is to be communal and to share oral yeah. history and story and myth and blah, 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 you know? Yeah, well, yeah. sitting around the camp, campfire and uh, yeah. Yeah, hearing tales totally. and myth, mythologies totally. and everything, yeah. And then as life goes on, life gets in the way and things like that. But to be able to say that people have fallen in love with books again, that gives us plenty of hope. Not that the not that the audiobook industry needs much hope. It seems like it's going going fine and dandy by the looks of things. Yeah. You know, we've got, yeah. I think, well over seventy five million people now. I think each year that listen to an audiobook, the mm-hmm. number continues to grow. That's I think and that was the, that was one of the last stats from uh, the Audio Publishers Association. But uh, that probably has you know been superseded now. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of, a lot of people are listening to audiobooks in their cars, and yeah, you know, there's a lot of um, and audiobooks by way of podcast as well, you know. There's a lot of people yeah. that release audiobooks chapter by chapter, which in my opinion is a little bit lazy, but hey, it's a way to get it yeah. out there. <laughs> I mean, if it's encouraging people to read. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, to read novels, to read books, to to do that sort of thing, it's got to be a good thing. Yeah. Anything that gets people to read is has got to be a good thing. Yeah. It's got to be a good thing. I know. I completely agree. Oh, right. Well, on that on that very happy, happy note, I thank you so much for chatting with us today. And um, yeah. no doubt we'll get you back at some point as well to tell us all about some more of your musical escapades. We didn't really go into that this time, but we will at some point, no doubt. 
thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Romy Hooper. You've been listening to Sound Salad for all things spoken and all things heard. To hear more Sound Salad episodes, go to www.soundsalad.co.nz. This has been brought to you by my gold sponsor, Audiobooks NZ. Check out their library at www.audiobooksnz.co.nz. Oh, bell.